Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another Shop Talk Show. This is Jason from Shield Bash, uh, and today we are going to be discussing a, a topic of setting expectations. Useful in games, relationships, workplace, kind of everywhere. And uh, today's guest and the, the originator of our topic is William. William, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and where you came from. Hello, everyone out there. It's a pleasure to be here on the show. Um, I am part of a D&D campaign that we just finished wrapping up. It's a podcast, an actual play podcast uh, called The 20 Effect. And I've been playing Dungeons & Dragons for like about five, six years, solely 5th edition. I've played some other role-playing games too, but mainly 5th edition, so... I can kind of say I've been around the bush on this one. I kind of know some uh, things that irritate me from each side, from point of me DMing with players, from new ones and old ones. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of experience behind it. And this is just some recommendations. Granted, everyone's different, but expectations are, I find, a very important thing for DMs and players to, to know before going to a game. And uh, as I said, my name is Jason from the Shield Bash podcast, a player and editor. Um, but for those of you who have been listening, you also know that outside the podcast world, I'm also a, um, we'll just say, experienced dungeon master. Uh, been through a few different systems and run more than more than a few campaigns through the years. So uh, I. I understand this importance as well of setting expectations. Now, for me, the big thing about it is I've also I learned about it mostly outside of D and D and other you know the various other TTRPGs. I learned it when I worked sales. I worked sales for over seven years, and tangent, I freaking hated it. <laughs> but yeah, one of the things that I always managed to be able to do was I never had a customer come back in and say to me, but you didn't tell me bleh. because it was always telling them like, this is what to expect. This is how it works. This is what, what's going to happen. And I had to occasionally deal with that with somebody else because they're like, well, so-and-so didn't tell me this or that or whatever. And, and that is what, how I learned that that's a terrible thing to have happen and that's why i've learned like i i've seen it here in the in the, the game world as well um so well what are some of the things with you that that really kind of made this like really prevalent in your mind like, important to you oh it was it started way back in when i started uh playing dnd Actually, as a player, like I, I started out as a new newbie, I joined a campaign, and I was having fun until inconsistencies start showing up in like a campaign. Where uh, one one of the things I want to talk about, obviously, is an expectation from players to DMs is consistency between NPCs and players. Where I was playing an artificer, and I wanted to make a magic item, but then. And the DM was like, no, you cannot. And then he has a NPC come along who has the same skill set as me, same level, nothing special about him. But then he makes a similar type of magic item and it's just, he just can do it. I'm like, wait. So it's like, I had the, ex had the expectation that like, all right, there's some form of consistency in this world between classes instead of star child type of NPCs that just can't do it because the DM says so. So that that's one thing that I find has been a, a reoccurring type of problem. Or it, it doesn't even have to be class related. Like if you want to do an action with like a rope or like if you want to take some cattle trough ball bearings, put them in a bucket and use them as a single action, throw both, but then DM says no and then has an NPC do something similar to it. It's like, where do you draw the line? That, that kind of like shuts down creativity in a campaign even because players will always be questioning all right am i going to set this up just be told no right afterwards yeah yeah and especially when you're you know with something like okay I, i'm not super familiar with how crafting works in fifth edition but i know in pathfinder 
it's something that you can invest pretty heavily into. And exactly. once you set that much time into it and that much of your, you know, you level up resources because you're only going to level up so many times. So those are, that's a finite resource. You put that much yeah. into it, you know, you, you want to get something out of it. And I know in my, uh, I'm running one of the campaigns I'm running now, I've got a guy who's real heavy into uh, item creations, but he, however, was smart. He did the thing where he made sure he asked me ahead of time for different things. And, you know, I, I set the expectations with him, you know, I was like, yeah, you can be a magic item creator, but, you know, you're not going to, your starting gold is still going to be the same amount, you're not going to be able to, like, get stuff half price, oh, you want to get in golems? Cool. I'm going to only allow you to go with one golem at a time, you know, like, yeah. you're not going to have an army of these things out on the field. <laughs> Mostly just because, you know, then your turn takes an hour, and holy crap you know and and that's just not fun for the other player and that that actually no. goes to the next expectation that that i find is um when people hog the spotlight that's always that, always a boring thing yeah and, and that i think is an expectation that falls on the dm because a player if they're getting the attention i'm an attention whore i know it I'll keep rolling, but I've become a little more self-aware. I'm like, wait, I'll then call upon new people as a player to say, like, hey, what do you think we should do in this situation? But, like, as DMs with, like, newer playgroups or even playgroups that they're comfortable with and then a new guy shows up, it, I think it's on them to mainly say, okay, let's set priorities and kind of switch um, around who is able to... If you had a turn... All right, you did your thing in this scenario, whether it's combat, social dynamic situations, then you switch to someone else. Yeah. Like, like I personally like having a deck of cards with each person's name on one, and then I move whoever went to the bottom, and then everyone else on top has priority. And if someone wants to wait, I keep their card on top, and then I go to the next. That's a cool way to do it. Yeah. So it, even if two people have, like, an idea and they both want to do it, I'll just point to the list and, like, listen... You had least most recent priority, so we're going with his idea. So I'm going to pay attention to him for this one. And obviously, there's also a a group aspect because you know it's a party. So if like someone had an idea, but then he's on the bottom, but everyone else thinks like that's a better idea, you got you just got to go with it. But like you know, that's just that's just being a DM. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you don't use it to force it, but you know, if I, I can see the situation where it's you know like. You're you're in a party and everybody's like schmoozing off in different different things, kind of doing their own separate thing across the room. And you know, it's like, okay, well, we just spent some time on your thing. Now the deck of cards says now we're going to spend some time on his thing. I know you also wanted to do a thing, but you know, it's just that wait your turn thing. Yeah, because there's too many times that I've played in like a campaign where there's. I'm over there trying to, like, lockpick a chest or, like, do some behind-the-scenes stuff. But then one person who's talking to, like, the big bad that's distracting them has just gone on for so long and then triggers a key event that I can't be like, wait, but I was doing this. And the DM's like, no, well, this has already happened. Roll initiative. Yeah. Sorry, you didn't, didn't actually get to do the thing you wanted. Yeah, and, you know, I, I've had that happen to me when I'm DMing and I'm like, I kind of feel bad. But at the same time, too, it's it's tricky to be like, okay, well, we're going to pause that because I know that's going to run initiative. And let's see what everybody else is doing. Because invariably, half the table's like, oh, well, I was watching the doors for an ambush and, you know, hand on weapon and shit. Like, it's like, no, you, yeah. you, you're just saying that because you think combat's about to start. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, but, it's like, you can, you can, I mean... I usually am okay with some of that if your character, like, has the right background or it's, like, a very, like wary type of paranoid type of character but if it's like one of your chill bars like no you weren't you weren't getting ready for a fight you, you were trying to uh betroth this person you know what you're doing bard i yeah. see you yeah don't 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 be like that exactly. but yeah i i know you know i was just i had a game earlier today um ended a couple hours ago and we're going through a commune that's been infested and like corrupted and you know, we're we're in these tough fights, getting hurt a lot, and I'm playing a druid medic. So it's like it's like everything in there. It's like, oh, we found these scrolls. 
I wonder who's going to get those. Oh, healer's gloves? I wonder who's getting that magic item. And I'm just like, I kind of feel bad because it's kind of all on me at this point because this whole thing is like designed for my character, it feels like. And so, uh, yeah. like, yeah, there's times where, you know, like you said, you have to be self-aware yourself because you're just like, all right, uh, I've been doing a lot. Time for me to step yeah. back. Let and somebody else do stuff. And that's one thing I find DMs start, can do is they make arcs specifically dedicated to one character, which is fine. But what can happen is that person gets so much spotlight that they just blaze through. Like in the podcast that I was in, just there's one part where it was, it was my arc, but then my friend Brian, if I'm remembering this correctly, I'm sure he'll doubt and call me out on this later. But he, he wound up taking Spotlight and actually took up a good chunk of my arc while he was doing his own thing. I'm like, well, okay, I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to bitch, moan, complain. That's going to be for later. <laughs> so, we'll do that privately. Yeah. We'll do that privately with someone else on another podcast that other people will listen to. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like it, it can happen. And even though it was like a dedicated my arc, it, it can still, the attention can be driven away towards someone else. Which, granted, yeah, the rule of cool can apply to it. But as, as with everything with D&D, it's a social game. You gotta, it, it's checks and balances with it. You gotta really, really weigh how much time you spent with each player. Okay, the next thing I wanted to talk about, see if this is a good transition. You mean for, oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Can and can't was another thing that I, I thought about. Like, no, it was, um, I hate it. I hate it so much, actually. Oh, my God. Right, right. Have you ever had someone come into your, your game? It's like new guy, but probably is like from another campaign, and they come in with these weird rules. It's like, wait, you can't do that. These are these are the laws. But it turned out to be a homebrew, that, like a house rule that they never really explained was a house rule. Yeah, trust me. Uh, it, it's a thing. You know, I've been gaming for... 14 years uh and so i have had a fair amount of different people at at my tables and there are times where people are like oh no i'm pretty sure it's done like this and i'm like no no and i do a lot of i do a lot of organized play too like i go to i do a lot of conventions and things as well when you go to conventions and you do the organized stuff for paizo there are no house rules like Mm -hmm. it's just it it doesn't matter like because there are some rules even in the pathfinder community that like nobody does it a certain way like everybody does it this way even though the rule book says the other because it just makes life so much easier but when you go to conventions you just that's just not a thing you're supposed to do and sometimes you know we still do it anyway but that's beside the point uh and so like you know i've had people complete strangers to show up and they're just like no this 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 i had one guy and i'm like okay i understand you disagree with me but if you do it that way again, I'm going to kick you out of my table. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is not how this works. Like I, there's a lot of rules. Bear with me if I got something wrong, and um, just show it to me in the book. You know, yeah, <clears throat> show it in the book. <laughs> that, that that's how it, yeah, that's usually how you end disputes like that. And yeah, like I've had I had, was um, a player, and there's a DM. And it wasn't him that was the problem, even though he had his other problems. But I'll, that's a whole other tangent. Yeah. <laughs> but there's two other players, a new one and another guy from another group. We, we got together, started a campaign, and the new guy rolled his dice, and it got cocked. It was like a D4, got cocked on the side, and the dude said, oh, yeah, you just get to you just choose whichever one you want. I'm like, wait, what? Excuse me? I'm like... <laughs> you telling the new guy and, he's like, and the new guy's like oh thanks I didn't know that was in the rule he's like yeah 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 like are you just telling the new guy to fudge his dice rolls really did, no. did, did you do that oh you you say cock die and you re-roll it like that's hey, exactly and just me and the DM were like no that's not how you do it and the guy like argued a little bit I'm like alright no 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 two against one plus the DM on this one yeah new dude 
don't worry, it's okay, you didn't know, but just, just give that another toss against the backboard and we're good, but you, sir, you... Yeah, I, I think the only difference I've ever heard for that is people who say cock die versus cracked die. Like, that's the only that's the only disparity I've ever heard. I've never heard of somebody being like, oh yeah, just just pick whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, with a D4, it's a little more extreme. I guess the, it's the, they're used to it. Like, if it was a D20, it's like, alright, you get two different numbers. But it's like, you know what? It's just, they're like, it's such a rare occurrence. It's, it's, it's kind of like a weird, I don't know, they had some convoluted way to describe them. Like, you're trying too hard, my dude. You're trying way too hard in this one. I mean, I'm sure when they thought up the rule, it made perfect sense to them at the time. But, you know, yeah, I, yeah it's just I the mean, way some, some of those things happen, I guess. I imagine you can come up with some strange rules if you're, like, sitting down in the basement with your buddies, like, drinking some beers. Like, you know what? Fuck it. This is going to be the rules for tonight. <laughs> yeah. It just sticks around. I, I remember, speaking of setting expectations and weird rules, one of the times... Um, and Neil, if you end up listening to this, yes, it's that situation. <laughs> we had a character who didn't like to communicate with the DM. A player, not a character, a player, right? Okay. Didn't like to like explain things about their character, the dungeon master and stuff like that. And they were they found this homebrew class, they got permission to play it. Um okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, that wasn't the issue. They didn't just show up with a, uh, a homebrew class. I'm mm-hmm. talking to the DM, but it was this thing where it was like all fear based and stuff. But the the other character, like your enemies, they had to look at you. Okay, right. So the player would like we got into our first combat. He's like, uh, so I run forward to the front of the group and I just scream at the top of my lungs. Mm-hmm. Problem is, the things that we were about to fight were already fighting something else. Oh, so they're like. And the DM's like, um, well, I mean, they're fighting for their lives, so they don't they don't really look at you. Because he's like, yeah, but I screamed. And it's like, yeah, but they're screaming, too, because they're getting, like, hit and bit and, you know, attacked. Like, they get just, lost you're just, in it. Yeah, you're just another person screaming. Um, so, uh, but, like, he had this thing in his mind where, like, if he just screamed, everybody would stop what they're doing and look at him, and he'd be able to use his yeah. abilities. And it's like, you know, that might have worked. If you talk to him ahead of time, exactly. And that that reminds me of um, oh shit, what was it? Wow, my brain is not wanting to work today, but that's okay. Uh, is you? The, yeah, there was the expectation of balanced characters. Oh yeah, and also just yeah, talking ahead of time is one of the biggest things. And one of the things that, that one of these situations I ran into is people grabbing unarched arcana and other, like, really powerful things that shouldn't, that are untested. Like, <clears throat> Mystic in 5th edition, overpowered as hell. Like, there's no way you can build it that's not overpowered. And I've seen people grab it who are experienced because it's a huge, like, 30-page uh, essay just for this one class to explain all the things they can do. And they bring it to the table, and when they start playing without checking it, they just start wiping everything. And mm-hmm. like everyone's doing it, they're like, wait, I build a healer with Mystics, like, I can heal, and I can deal damage. Oh, I can also teleport, and I, they just could do everything, and it just made the entire... It was just a drag for everyone else. So it's, there's also the power level aspect. Now, I, I yeah. granted, I have fallen victim to... Uh, or not fallen victim then the victimizer to the DM of making strong classes. But I try to use it more as a... a I try not to be the main character in that case. You know, yeah. stealing the spotlight, doing everything for everyone else. I, I try to play it as more of the backup if everyone gets downed, at least I can probably carry through. Yeah. Yeah, It's it is this thing where, like, I, I have seen the games played a lot of different ways. You know, I, I've seen tables where, hey, Mystic, great. Let's all play Mystics. Like, let's just have a game like that, you know, where, like, everybody's exactly. like, oh, well, I'm not going to be a Mystic, but I have found this combination where I can deal 300 points of damage in one attack uh, <laughs> every single turn, you know, and it's like, everybody's like, great, this is what we want. Yeah. And then I've also seen the ones where it's like, okay, 
we're just trying to survive the DM trying to kill us. And I've seen games where it's like, we just want like a cool role play experience. Like I've seen all of them. And the, the, the only bad part about that is like when one person is trying to survive the DM and one person is playing the mystic and one person wants the great, you know, role play experience. Yeah. And they're all trying to play together. And it's like, this is not, this is not. And then the DMs just like, well, uh, I just wanted you guys to experience this particular, you know, campaign arc. Um, yeah. And so, like, everybody, nobody is setting down for the same game, you know? And, and that brings to us to the importance of a pre-game discussion or even a session zero for the uh, for new players and old players or even recurring players that you've played with for, like, however many years. It's just setting up the expectations of the game itself where you can say all right last campaign we had i was pretty carte blanche like you could craft whatever wild thing popped in your mind you could go and if you wanted to burn down the kingdom go right ahead there's not much that they can do to stop you because you're the heroes who ha let's go as opposed to like saying uh where where the players should have some respect for the dm because they've taken their time and they, they're the ones who do, do the most work out of everyone. DMs put in the most work. And it brings me to, like, derailing a campaign. Because that happens too often. I am very known for doing something that the DM doesn't usually expect that then derails it. Which can, depending on the DM, can be great or horrible. One of the two. Because... It's a DM that's, DMs need to account for balanced, competent fights that are tough, challenging, tough and challenging, but not going to completely decimate you or cakewalk. Or if you want to cakewalk, then just make you feel powerful and then beat you down later. Sure, yep. that also is a great, great method. But the fact that you spend, like as a DM, you spend a lot of times, hours crafting stories, interactions, side quests, little hidden things that you can just throw in if someone. It's being a little cheeky and scrounged around. I feel like it's a spit in the face or just very rude to just say, I know you had a cool idea and story, but I think my idea is cooler. Therefore, I'm going to turn the evil villain to a rabbit just to piss him off more, to yeah. make him burn down the cat town, or just do something to really derail the entire story. Yep. And, and that session zero is particularly important. Uh, for that, not it, and it that is, if it's not done, it's as much on the DM as anybody else. And if Kurt, if you're listening to this, I'm not saying it's your fault, but it, I'm saying it certainly wasn't ours. We have a phrase for this, and we call it "curting an adventure," because Kurt set us up with this homebrew campaign. We very recently have been doing a lot of like adventure paths and modules and pre-made stuff, right? Because we're all oh, that sounds cool busy but um he set up this one back and when we were playing third edition and it was absolutely you know this cool setting it's in eberron and like we're part of this adventuring guild and we're going to like be doing this stuff but like we didn't find this out till we started playing right so we go through this whole thing and like he sets up this adventure this thing where we're supposed to go out and try to find uh, a book like our guild gets just you know like hey we have a commission for you go find this book but then he's like okay yeah. well you guys are gonna get like attacked by some with some sleep poison and like one of your members is gonna get dragged off you gotta save them that didn't happen and then like we you know he's like he didn't expect this he didn't expect that it was kind of just this cluster but like the story was still progressing until we found out the plot point of the guild is being taken over by were-rats. So we can either become were-rats and stay with the guild, or join this religious organization that came into town to try and get rid of the were-rats. The, the Church of the Silver Flame, if you're familiar with Eberron. No, I'm not really familiar with yeah. Eberron. Everything I've done has been uh, custom hand-tailored. Gotcha. Uh, well, it's very much uh, like your your paladin organization of like truth might justice and specifically anti-lycanthrope got it um, and oh, like hunters from bloodborne kind of idea right 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we, he left the room to like go to the bathroom, and the whole table's discussing it. And he came back and goes, "Okay, what'd you choose? You expecting us at A or B?" And we're like, "Yeah, we're gonna get the hell out of Dodge." <laughs> and we just left like, town. Yep, we're like, we have no connection to this guild. We have no reason to stay. We have, because we didn't know it was even gonna be a thing. Like, I didn't write a backstory about you know, like. I growing up in the guild hall since I was a wee lad and you know yeah. stuff like that and it was just like all right well we can go adventure wherever the hell we want and not pay the guild commission money you know right so we just left and he kind of closed his notebook and said okay we're done for tonight then because I got nothing else to do and we just completely you know foobarred the entire thing that he wrote because we're just like nope whoop. <laughs> yeah yeah. But see that that I think is is an acceptable form of it because it, yeah you're right that was the DM didn't expect that and it wasn't a single player just derailing the whole campaign and that's fine because if it's the whole party where it's in agreement it's something not intentional yeah then in that case it's yeah that's a good story <laughs> yeah like. But if we'd known ahead of time, like, we would have been, you know, invested in this guild, or at least the town that we were in, you know? So, we would have been expecting to stay there. It's like, hey, we we changed your backstory so you, like, grew up there, or at least were mates with someone in charge of the guild. It's like, so you had a connection to someone there, or someone might have been part of the religious group that came through. Might cause some tension to say which side you want to take, even. Yeah. Like, have some, some... cool dynamics but that that requires all pr- prior game uh discussion yeah which which i find does can be lacking now the from from my experience because not many people do session zero it's like i've tried to do a uh start up a session where you have a mockingbird type what was that is that their word, the name of the book mockingjay. Know, uh, hunger games. there you go hunger games thank you wow See, brain not work too good today. Uh, yeah, Hunger Games type of scenario where there's a big capital, all these smaller settlements, not as oppressed as the Hunger Games, but still, like, they, they're under the boot. And I need to have a session zero with everyone to say, all right, you're getting in trouble with the law. They're going to put you on a suicide mission to, as an expedition to the haunted forest where you now have to build a settlement. Now, the reason I'm doing that is because now they have connections. Why they, It's the reason why they have to stay. Otherwise, they'll, they won't have the, the idea of why they'll be hunted and kind of why they, they need to stick with the group. And it also gives the background and story of... It sets the scene, actually. Best way to put it. And without that, I feel like the, the starting off everyone on a wagon isn't as impactful as how you got there. With a little bit of RP in the middle. <clears throat> like the first time I started this, someone didn't want to be part of the city, so they came in on a boat, and the town, the uh, guards were just saying, oh yeah, you parked there? Well, that's going to be some taxes. We'll take your boat in for a temporary amount of time. They argue, one thing leads to another. Oh, you tried to escape and, steal, and uh, steal our rightful tax on your parking? Well... Condemn you to this to this uh, event to this fourth trip. <laughs> so surprise, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I've I've run into this a bit too with um, yeah. You know, like I said, we do a lot of adventure pads and stuff nowadays, and they, they Paizo always puts out a player's guide which tells you a basic part of it, right? But one of the ones I was running, and I, I am a huge advocate for session zero. I insist upon mm-hmm. it. In fact. Because the one of the ones I started running, it's called Shattered Star, and it you know it talks about like okay you start in this town, it tells you stuff about the town and like tells you what kind of the general overarching goal of the adventure path is. Okay, Shattered Star, you're going to end up basically reassembling this thing called the Sahedron Star. It's a seven pointed star, ancient relic, yada yada. Yep. But. But it doesn't tell you, like, and what I learned from, like, looking through the adventure path, and I had to explain to the the players, is, like, this whole AP, six books, it's almost all dungeon crawl. So, like, just keep that in mind. Like, if you're going to play a cavalier on a horse, 
you're probably not going to use it that much. So, like, yeah. you know, if you're going to play a, a druid, you know, like a sky druid, you're probably not going to get a lot of sky time. Like, yeah. you know, so, like, I don't know what you guys' initial character ideas are, but let's make sure you're aware of, like, where you're going to spend most of your time in this campaign. Yeah, that's like, I, I, there's this one character I really want to play because they released a, a new set for 5e a while ago. I shouldn't even call it new anymore, but they gave a made a new bard subclass that says, hey, anytime you roll the dice to make a persuasion or deception check, the lowest your dice can roll is 10. Cool. Which I'm like, oh, finally. That means the bard isn't going to just nat one talking to a king just for a small <laughs> little trivial quest and just absolutely ruin the campaign. Or set on a another rail just by accident and then you don't need the DM saying, you know, I'm just going to give you an advantage so you can re-roll that. Like, you don't need that. It's just flat 10, guaranteed. Yeah. Plus your modifier so it gets really silly. But the thing is, as you said, if there's a dungeon crawl, it's like, we're going to talk the lich out of killing you guys. Like, really? Well, actually, it's high enough for <laughs> Yeah, I, I do have to ask, just out of curiosity, what is the name of that that archetype, that, that subclass? Oh, oh, uh, hold on, I, I do know, I should know it. Uh, tra- Some reason I keep thinking of Mug Tranquility, D&D 5E. If I ever end up playing 5th edition, that that's going to be what I go into, because I, I have that character in Pathfinder and... You know, I've got that silly deception score, uh, that bluff score, where I'm just like, yeah, no, you, I, I, I'm going to try and tell him the thing. What's it called? Yeah, Bard, uh, Bard of Eloquence. Eloquence. Uh, yeah, I'll double check that. I just remembered it. I didn't actually see it. Let's see. Ele- yeah, it's Eloquence. And they get some other things I can't remember, but it, I mean, I've also had some other ideas with, with durable bards with dwarf and one of their seats that they get, which are very entertaining because they let them heal every turn equal to the hit dice, but yeah, there's a lot of cool things you can do with bars, but the issue is you have, as I said, I've been waiting for a campaign that isn't like my friend Brian's, because he usually does uh, a tower that you have to, or like a, a, that you have to climb through and fight through. It's a very combat-heavy type of campaign, where, granted, yeah, bars can do combat. They have cantrips, yeah. but when you look at You don't at want to play bar, that like, kind of bar. Yeah, well, when you look at a bard, like, they can do a 1d4 if they, the opponent loses the saving throw, as opposed to the barbarian over there who's taking half damage from everything and swinging twice, three times a turn, dealing a vomit amount of damage. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember yeah, when I started 3rd edition back in the day, like, I think it even, even said it in the player's handbook that bard is the sixth man class. Like, it's the one you play when you've got all of your other fields covered because it's the, I can do a bit of everything to support, you know, to aid the rogue, to aid the wizard, to aid, like, that's just what it was for. It was never designed to, like, to be spotlighted in anything else. And then, obviously, it's you. It's the talk. The talky character. Yeah, it it can get you a little extra... Uh, scratch on like a mission after you finish it. It can it can get you out of sticky situations. You can go undercover yep. and be double it, do a double O seven type of scenario. Yep. Uh, and just that little bit of little bit of extra chance to hit and damage. But yeah, I mean it's definitely a thing where it's um, you know you, you got to know what kind of campaign you're going into for what kind of character. Yeah, right now I'm looking trying to remember the thing of uh, birds satire oh is it unearthed never mind forget it it's unearthed i'm not going to look at it then but no there's some cool things you can do with i found the the dwarf to make very tanky characters with monk and yet again it's another character i love playing it's called tumble dwarf because dwarf gets a feat that says hey every time you take a dodge action you can spend a hit dice and heal that amount plus your con hmm and you get hit dice equal to your level, and then monks get key points equal to your level, and you can spend a key point to take a dodge action as a bonus action. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, every turn you basically can heal up, have disadvantage against you, but it doesn't do much damage. So it's the, an amazing tank. Yeah. That's if your 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 players need a tank. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's that's one of the other benefits to Session Zero. It's not just the DM like sitting down and telling them what to expect. It's um, the players being able to... like. And I don't want my players to sit down and talk like, oh yeah, well, I'm going to have this this skill uh you know really covered so nobody else needs to take that and i'm you know somebody else being like well i'm gonna be real heavy into this skill so nobody else needs to invent other but like what i don't want is like one of my other campaigns i ran a little while ago and it was like well we have two wizards a witch and a sorcerer oh i've heard about witches in 3.5 that they're or or pathfinder they are very strong it's well they're not they're not that bad it's mostly it's the bookkeeping, right? Of like, okay, who has what debuffs, you know, rather than like the bard yeah. on the opposite side who's like, everybody gets plus two to hit. This is like, okay, this guy's got a minus two to saves. This guy's got a minus one. But it's mostly like they're an arcane caster. The sorcerer and the wizards are arcane casters. And it was like, so we had four arcane casters. And then like we had a rogue and a cleric rounded out the team. So it was like, there's really there's no fighter really like there's no it was just like all heavy into one side and it just there's no frontliner yeah i mean they did fine they did okay but it just became yeah. a thing where it was like you know you, you've got some holes in your party and i you know yeah. i i warned my team especially since i'm you know running pre-made stuff if you guys don't have somebody who can deal with traps i'm not taking the traps out no that yeah. the world doesn't change for you you need to change for the world. Yeah. Survive that over to overcome. Yeah, and it's like, and if one of your characters dies because of it, well, then that person should come back as the, the hole, <laughs> to fill the hole in your party. Exactly. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, it, it, it has a good, good party balance, you know, especially like Pathfinders, you know, they describe it as a toolbox system where you can have, you know, a cleric built five different ways. The, the one in Shattered Star, he's like, I'm going to be focusing on crowd control. Yeah. You know? So it's like, well, that means the person playing the wizard doesn't need to focus on crowd control spells. You know? So, like, they can not both end up trying yeah. to overlap each other. Exactly. And that's what one thing that I found that happens in uh, 5e is before you start session, since it's not as old as... Uh, 3.5 and Pathfinder, it doesn't have as much variety. They've been getting better, obviously, throughout the years, and now there's actually a good amount of variety, but when you start a game, everyone needs to really say, hey, this is why I'm playing, because a lot of times you will wind up with overlapping classes. Like my friend Ari, she really does not like playing a class that's already being played. Yeah. So it's like a, it's a respectful type of thing to say, hey, this is what I want to play. If that's what you're playing, fine. You chose it first. I'm not going to copy it. And because otherwise, they just, they're not going to have fun as a player. And that's the type of thing you also need in a session zero to see if you guys start up a game and someone changed without saying anything to everyone else just because, you know, stuff happened. And it's like, hey, before we actually kick this off, mind if I now switch things around and ask the DM, obviously, to get approval yeah. just so then everyone can play something that they're going to have fun with. Instead of two people trying to compete, being like, no, I'm the best bard, no, I'm the best bard, or I take the bet damage better, or vice versa, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you, you do have that, and I, I agree. I try to I try to avoid not just the same class, but, you know, that same, again, that same focus, you know? Yeah, like, roll. Yeah, like, we in Shield Bash, um, actually, we have two rogues. But one of them is a thief, like an actual like thief. You know, focused on yeah. sleight of hand and disable device and pickpocket. You know, all of that stuff. And the other one is more into like the acrobatics and the tumbling and the you know the, the some of the knowledge skills behind it. You know, and you know it's one of them is essentially like literally a thief professionally. The other one is an archaeologist. So like, even though they're yeah. both human rogues. They end up very different, and you know, so that way you're not stealing each other's other's time to shine, even in the mechanical sense. And that's one thing I like about Pathfinder, which I never really got to play. I played it once, never really. It was like a one session, so I can't even count that. But one thing about Pathfinder is that you have that in-depth ability to play the same class 
but they would be completely different. Like you would not even guess by looking on paper what they did that they would be the same class unless you saw, oh, they are by it saying it. So, and that's one thing I really like about it. And it's always made me interested in playing it, but I don't know. Just something about the resource mechanics of like actually having to spend levels to get something, like with, with Artificer and other classes like that, to me, it's kind of a turn-off. I'm just like, mm, Oh, that not. died in 3rd edition. Oh, it did? Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. I, I, I agree. Like, that was the thing. I, I never got into crafting in 3rd edition, because I'm like, wait, I have to spend actual experience points to... That's horrendous. And, like, I understand now, looking back, it's so as, you know, when the rest of the party's at level 20, you're a level 16 wizard, and you're still at the same power level as the level 20 characters, but I want to be a level 20 wizard, you know? Yeah, they're doing the cool shit. Like, yeah. they, they what's going on? Look at those lights that he's making. I can't make those lights. Yeah. No, so, yeah, no, that died. That died. Uh, it's just, it's all, like, money that's all it is for crafting. It's all just money. Oh, just get the wizard with his wish. Make 20,000 gold appear out of nowhere. There we go. Money solved people. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. It, but, yeah. It, that, that's the other thing. It's like trying not to cheese the system. And that's another expectation. Like, overpowered characters happens way too often. I personally, as a DM, have a kind of soft rule and just ask politely, no one play Bear Barbarians. Is that the half damage from everything? Half damage from everything, except psychic damage. Yep. But, like, what use the psychic except mind flayers? So, it's... I don't feel like throwing mind flayers into every campaign, but, like, when you have a bird barbarian that just says, yeah, I'm raged, I have the highest hit pool, I'm a dwarf, so I get an extra one, I took the durable feat, so I get an extra two every level, <sighs> and now everything you do is slice in half. Yo, healer! Hit me up with some that good, good green goo to keep me up and going. Let's go. And yeah. they just, they can't be stopped. I remember there was one campaign. The party got wiped, and I was bare fisting a minotaur, undead minotaur, and I won because I was a bear barbarian. Yeah, I, mean, I, I listen to a fair amount of podcasts, and I don't think I've ever heard anybody who multiclassed into barbarian not take bar bear. Like, everybody exactly. always does it, and it's just like, well... He's objectively better. Yeah. I mean, granted, some of them are great for flavor, and those are fun, but, like, you have all these other types of... Like, you'd be Elk Barbarian, Tiger, whatever, and the other one that I would even consider maybe would be Wolf, because that says if you attack someone, everyone else gets advantage against them, or it might have been vice versa, but half damage. Yeah, <laughs> you, you can't you can't beat half damage. Yeah, yeah, it's it is one of those things where it's like it's so good. Why wouldn't you take it? You know. Yeah, I mean, what, one of the strongest things I saw was uh, the spell heroism heroism with it, where it just says every turn you get temp health, hmm. and it just yeah. It, I think it was like your the caster's it uh, casting power, you know, like intelligence, charisma, whatever respectable one it is for it. And then, like, a D6, but even if it was 5 plus 1 D6 that you got from it, like, or, like, even just a 4 plus 1 D6, that means they have to deal 10 damage on a minimum roll just to punch through your temp health that you yeah. get every turn, plus all your other health, which is bigger than everyone else's, which is... Eh, yeah. This, that, that, that's a rant. That's a... Whew, that's a whole other thing. No, no, I understand. It, it's... Yeah. And it does, it does, however, tie back into the setting expectations, because if if somebody does sit down with that, now you as the DM, you have to essentially counter that in every single mm -hmm. combat. And it's like you said, you, know, you either have mind flayers or you're like, well, this person just, you know, like, well, you're encountering, uh, you know, this group of bad guys that all use lassos and will try to tie you up, you know? It's like, you're having to design around one person. And again... And it just is now you're it's like you versus them and that's just not really fair or it, fun it, it isn't. yeah it, it really isn't and that's the thing with that's the other thing about barbarians is that when they're raised they get advantage against strength throws that cuts another layer of the dm able to make encounters counter you out of the picture 
And also what happens is that you have now this power difference where, all right, now the encounters are this strong, everyone in the party is this strong, oh right, this is audio, one hand's higher than the other, everyone else. The, the Barbarian's like, like level is like power strength 10, the party's like 3, and the DM has to throw these huge encounters, and if he kills the Barbarian, now you have these this squad of goonies that are buff as hell, fighting way out of scale adventure party, and you know what that's going to wind up with? It's going to be a wipe, yeah. once they got someone with teleport to GTFO. But... So, listeners, uh, again, this gets brought up every single time we sit down. I sit down to talk with somebody. How I say communication is important, and this whole thing, this whole episode, is just the stress that communication is important. Because, you know, we've been saying all this about power levels, and you may be the person sitting at a table who's like, no, I love that shit. My whole table plays that way. In which case, that's the expectation for your table. And the person who yep. shows up with the non-min-max character is the weird one out. But it's a matter of sitting down and just talking to the players and you know, and the DM and finding out what it is. And let's make no mistake, this is a conversation that goes both ways. Players mm -hmm. and DMs need to make sure that they, they do this. And it's not just for stuff like this. It can be out of game stuff too, you know. Uh, there, you know, and it, it comes up whether you call it uh, black card subjects. I think is the most common thing, the most common way I've heard it, heard it said. But there are some things at my table, and I'm not going to say what specifically, but we don't joke about. You know, we can get raunchy, we can get really inappropriate, but there is one topic that whenever it gets brought, I'm like, no, like this is not a joke for us. Like, drop it. Yeah. Yeah. This is like we're we're gonna stop the whole this whole tangent right now, you know, and that's the sort of thing too. Like I don't get mad when somebody brings it up, especially like somebody new to the table brings it up because yeah. they don't know. They didn't know. know. Usually with yeah. black card subjects, I find you don't bring it up because it doesn't need to be brought up. So when someone new comes to the table, it can be glossed over. I know when in in when I go to college, like and I a new game with people I, I lay down the basis rules like fine if you want to be murder hobos i can build a campaign for it but if you're not i need to know ahead of time just know if you're going to go down a, a darker route these are the trigger warnings do not touch these subjects or i will end the campaign then and there yeah because if you start doing these things that is not a type of thing i want to role play out yeah because uh, i mean Again, if that's your thing for your table, again, as long as your table is okay with it, more power to you, you know? It, I remember we, we got a, into the conversation a while back. Um, I think it was Tasha's Cauldron of Everything that came out, and they're like, hey, we've altered some of these you know, races so they're not all inherently evil. And some people were like, oh, but... And then like, other people were like, no, it needs to be this way. And you know, it came back and forth, and you know, it's... If that's what your table wants, that's what your table gets, you know? Yeah. Like, if you want the dark and stormy path and, you know, all the cruelty and things like that, if that's how you guys have fun, cool. There are certain things, like you said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not cool. going to have it at the table. And, you know, the other players at my table, they know that. Mm -hmm. they, they know, like, this is, the, this is the subject that's just off limits for Jason. So it's... That's good. Yeah, and you know and they, they know well, that expectation. Yeah, and you know some of them have their own subjects, and you know I, we don't we don't bring them up. We'll get into you know get into some pretty again some pretty raunchy stuff, but yeah, but that's that's role playing. You're role playing yep. life adventures. Like, what do you think is going to happen? Never yeah. about sunshine and gumdrop gumdrops all the time, but you know what? It, that's just how role playing goes. You got to have your ups and downs. So, yeah, and with with more on discussion, and, and the problem with discussing things, not on really the subject of, of uh, topic sensitive topics, um, one problem that I've come into too many times, actually as a player, towards DMs, is not respecting metagaming, and like, sharing knowledge as like a joke like hey i could do this but like i'm not 
but at the same time, then they know, I'll know you could do that. And then they stripped like an item, an ability, or something away from you just to hard lock you not being able to do that. Mm. That sounds like a, like you said, that sounds like a thing you've run into directly. Right, 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 right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. As 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 a person who can accidentally derail the campaign without even knowing it, just because of a magical item, yeah, it it, it happens. Like, I didn't know about the bag of holding within a bag of holding. I'm like, yeah, this will just make more storage. Nope. Yeah. I'm glad I had the teleport spell, but uh, a lot of other people did not. Especially the kid. He was not happy with that one. We beat a boss that way. We we disguised a, a pit trap, and it was a portable hole when the boss got near it. We just tossed the bag of holding into it, and it was like sucked <laughs> into the astral plane. We're like, "See ya!" Yeah, I accidentally was was putting the coins in and like loot, like the king. We we did a quest for for royalty, and I got what was it like some some big statue, some big yeah, yeah like a it was a bust. I'm like, "All right, I'll put in this bag of holding, but now this one's full." Here, king, uh, let let me just. Pop this into this one, and yeah, I asked for the king for another bag of holding, and yeah, to say the least, I'd say thank you, king. Put it in immediately, and uh, people disappeared real quick. Oh, but yeah. you see, if I go back to this scenario, would it be appropriate for me to not metagame to metagame the knowledge outside of the character that putting a bag of holding in a bag of holding would cause a literally destroy everything around me? I think that's that's really that is an acceptable form of metagaming. I think yeah. it's like yes, you should know that. But there, there's that's another thing you have to discuss with your DM is yeah. what is okay for me for my character to just know right off the bat. Does my character growing up it does he like know basic things like are lycanthrope sweet to silver? Is that common knowledge? Usually, yeah. yes, it, it is. But like there's other ones. <laughs> For example, skeletons are they immune to cold damage? Are they weak? Are they weak to fire? Are they weak to bludgeoning? Like knowing, as someone who's played a lot of D and D, I naturally innately know weakness and advantages and what monsters can do. But then playing a character, it's hard to not play around those advantages. Yeah. I would say with the to the bag of holding example, like in that mm-hmm. sort of situation, I would say it's mostly okay to, to metagame because doing otherwise can derail the campaign. Like you're exactly. you're not trying to ruin things. Like it's it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, okay, my character may not know that much about magic items, but I don't want to screw up the game for me and everybody else, you know? So it's like Yeah, if you were then gonna use it offensively to like be clever that's inappropriate yeah. metagaming, but just like exactly. not ruining it for everybody is appropriate metagaming. Because yeah. I, I'm of the opinion that everybody who's played for any decent length of time, you're going to end up metagaming one way or the other because yeah. it's yeah. almost unavoidable. You just know so much, but you know, you got to try and monitor to do it quote unquote the right way. Like I remember there was a, a, there was a time where I was DMing. And these players did a quest, and you know, another scenario, you're getting rewards. And it was for a silver dragon? One, a dragon. So it had a whore, and it's like, alright, you help me out here, I'll grant you X amount of value. And everyone gave, asked for it, enchanted items, which I'm like, oh yeah, sure, you get a ring of protection, cloak of protection, because let's be honest, all players love cloaks of protection. You can't go wrong with one of those. Yeah. But one character just asks for 10 bags of holding, and that's when I'm like, mmm, mmm, I see what you're trying to do with this. And as a DM, I kind of was in a wishy-washy play, wait, place, because when someone asks for 10 bags of holding, you know what they're going to do with them. One from themselves, and another nine to go, and, uh, just insta-give something you're going to throw down the line. And that was just a level of, like, in-game, yes. 
it would make sense that the dragon could give it to you. And would he care? Probably not. But out of game, that just kind of felt like a little disrespectful to me as a DM to then try to craft a boss that would later on be a difficult fight but still able to be overcome. But then you have the ace in the hole that just says no. And not just having one, but having one, two, three, four times and just saying, using it like a cantrip. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, again, it's... Then you you know do you give all the bosses uh, like a one time use item that lets them come back from the astral plane, you know, and make them just you know sink another two bags of holding into it? But it's yeah. yeah. But then that's that. Then it's like you're fighting metagaming with metagaming, and then that promotes more metagaming. Yeah. Then that's where you get a really muddied, disgusting campaign that could really divulge into just players versus DM. Yeah. And I, I have seen this a fair amount where somebody, I, I call it, the phrasing that I use is people trying to be clever. They they think they're trying to outsmart somebody. And it's just like, you know, if you get a cool magic item and you find a clever way to use it, fantastic. Love it, right? That's, that's what I live for in this game is to try and find something where the DM just goes, wait, you're going to do what? You know, and, and just to, you know, have that moment. But, you know, it can be taken to the point where somebody's, you know, their whole, whole goal is not to do it in the moment, not to fix a weird situation, but to, like, plan ahead to do it. And I usually I find it, it comes from somebody who's, like, trying to hide information, you know, whether uh, on either side of the screen where they're just like, oh, no, I'm just not going to tell you this because, you know, you, it's a secret and it's like. Yeah, but, like, I got a 34 on my knowledge check, like... I rolled high... uh, Well, I find it's annoying when a player does that to a DM. It's like, you don't trust me enough to not... Like, as I said, um, like, a mage that was solely... I played, like, one of my friends played a mage that was solely fire damage. And as a DM, I then kind of made sure that there wasn't any scenario that they wouldn't be useful in. Like, I didn't send only fire elementals at them because they trusted me with that knowledge that that was their quirk to not use it so heavily against them that they became useless. Yeah. There are some fights that enemies had fire resistance, but I never would do fire immunity or, like, every enemy's fire resistance. There'd be, like, a mage in the back who, who would be just a normal mage who summoned the fire elemental. So then it'd be dumb versus dumb while everyone else keeps the fire elementals off their backs and they could yeah. have an awesome duke it out. But it, it it's really just, yet again, having respect and trust for you, to your DM and then vice versa with your players. Like, I've had a bad DM where, as a player, I kind of felt like I needed to hide information from him because he would then literally, as I said, strip those little things that he gave to me away one at a time just so that I couldn't have the possibility of doing something. Because, like, uh, for example, I got an item that rolled on a D10,000 table. And I love it. I love my D10,000 table. I found a second one. I roll. I, I use it in every campaign. They play a wild mage. You don't use a small little hundred one. You use 10,000, you roll, and if it's a world ending, you use one on the other other table. I love it. But we were fighting a Naga, and well, we were, we were fighting Nagas, because I know it's not a basic thing, but they had a Naga King, and I, I hit them with the potion, and it says, just a completely random one, targets, skeleton, rotates 180 degrees in their body. I'm just like, hmm. I killed it. I killed it, guys. But then it's like just a completely random thing that happened. And I loved yeah. it. And everyone had such a fun time. The DM went and went around and said, no, it is now an undead Naga and it's at full health and has more powers. I'm like, Ugh. Oof. And it's like, wow, okay, you just, you just. And this is a artificer who succeeded against 
three strength checks against a boss. The, the fact that it just luck through that way, it was like failing an insta-kill move in, in 3.5. Yeah. Like, when when a player gets an insta-kill, you have to fail a lot of checks, but if you do it, you're gone. Yeah. And it, it felt like that, and then the DM stripped it. Granted, it's fine, it was un, it counted as undead, and the paladin could do extra radiant damage against it, blah, 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 but... Yeah, but still, it, it, it took away your your cool moment. Yeah, it, it kind of felt like it, it stripped me of, like, all the guys fighting off the little mooks while this little tiny... I was playing, like, a, a replicant of Tiny Tina from Borderlands. This Tiny <laughs> Tina just... Exactly! With a crazy mystical potion, fight, wrangling a naga, dropping it in their, their mouth. And just the entire skeleton around. <laughs> I will say this here for you and all of our listeners. And some of my listeners are people that I've played with over the years. I know that everything we've talked about is being bad. If you've been gaming with me long enough, I've done some of, I've done a lot of these things. Bad. You know, I, I, one of the video series I watch is Matt Colville's running the game on YouTube fantastic series and you know he goes over like these are mistakes early dms make and i'm like yes i have done all of those things mm-hmm. you know you can do better at this stuff and i'm not gonna sit here and try to claim that like i've never made these mistakes because almost everything we've talked about i've done i've screwed up and done these yeah. things but the 14 years of gaming have told me these are Ooh. these are mistakes you know these are things that I shouldn't be doing because they make the game less fun. It strips fun away from player. Like, yeah, it's annoying when your big bad boss is killed instantly, but if everyone else in the table is laughing and having fun, that is the end goal of playing a game, in my opinion. Yes. No, no. I agree. When I worked retail... Um, I had somebody one time recommend a podcast to me. It was The Adventure Zone. For those of you who aren't familiar yeah. with it, it's hilarious, right? And she said, yeah. you know, it's this guy and his two brothers and their dad, and they're playing 5th edition. And I don't know if they're doing it right, but they're having fun, and it's funny. And I'm like, well, if they're having fun, they're doing it right. Exactly. Like, that's what so, the whole thing is. The rules are guidelines. Whether you follow them or not, it doesn't really matter as long as you're having fun. Granted, that doesn't mean... Ignore the rules just to make your campaign the way you want to with that lately and, and to lock people out. But, like, it, as long as everyone that's the is having fun and it's not just you, and obviously try not to be selfish where you only set up situations where you're having fun, then, yeah, you're playing it right. You're yeah. doing the D&Ds, guys. 10 out of 10. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it's like you said, as long as, as long as you're not doing it just for you, as long as everyone at the table knows roughly how much of the rules you're going to follow because i i do play a very i run a very rules heavy game yeah but there are times when i you know i have to just be like okay i don't know what the rule is or that rule is dumb or i mean you know you just make a rules call for everybody and it it just has to be that expectation of being like okay we're going to follow the rules 90 percent of the time and then you know that other 10 percent we will you know ad hoc it as needed and my, you know, my players know that. And when I go to conventions, I tell the players, you know, what to expect. Because that's the whole point. Is making sure, the, the whole point of this video is making sure of the importance of setting expectations. Yeah. Try to try to reduce the amount of fouls that happen in, in play group. I know I've made my fair share of mistakes. I feel like I've made less as a DM because I start out as a player and experienced a lot of bad DMs. But for those who are new to this, that are just getting a D&D player or um, DM, like, just talk before the game about all the rules. Don't, I mean, usually it's up to DM to say, sit down, everyone down and like discuss stuff. But if you're just a player and you're helping out a new person, or just try to get the group together and have that discussion. Just one person needs to do it, because then... Your entire campaign will go out by a lot smoother. Mm. And we have a lot more fun. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, when I used to take theater classes, one of the teachers once said, you know, consume as much as you can, even bad theater, because that'll teach you what not to do. 
So learn from your, even learn from your bad DMs. So we're kind of wrapping up our subject here. Will, what, what are your final thoughts? Are there any bits or pieces that you're like, man, I really wish I had found a time to mention this or anything or like closing thoughts on the topic? Um, no, I think we, we hit a lot of the topics that I have listed here. Just, um, yeah, as, as I've stated, as you stated, like we, as we stated multiple times through this, it's really just talking before the game actually starts. Communication is the golden key of a good D&D session because it is a game about talking and rolling dice. So... If you can't talk to each other and have fun doing that, then you're, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. If you're having fun only when you roll in at 20, it, I mean, I don't want to say you're doing it wrong, but you should be having fun more than when you just succeed. Some of my best times was when I failed. Yeah. I was about to go into a story tangent, but we're wrapping <laughs> it up. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, listeners, thank you very much for joining us. Um, if you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to us uh, on the Shield Bash website, or um, you can head up Dicecasters. Their link will be in the episode description. Uh, hopefully, no matter which feed you're coming at us from, you know, give the other one a full-on listen to. So, thank you for listening, and have a great day. is made in association with Knights of the Octagon and the Farmageddon Gaming Convention. Find us online at shieldbash.net, on Facebook at shieldbash, on Twitter at bashshield, and on YouTube at shieldbash. Bumper music provided by Lee Rosevere. Other artists can be found in the episode description. Troubles in Otari, Abomination Vaults, Serpent Skull, and Pathfinder are the property of Paizo Publishing Incorporated. Leave a comment on iTunes for a chance to hear us read it out on the podcast. Questions and comments can be sent to shieldbashpodcast at gmail.com.